You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about our church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Welcome to Redemption Hill Church. Thank you, Logan, for reading the text. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's Word. Um, as you know, we're continuing on in the... Uh, of Acts. So if you've got your Bible, you can open it up to Acts 3. We'll be in Acts 3 this morning. And uh, just a, a quick thought before I get into the message here. One of the reasons why I love going through books of the Bible is that you are forced to confront uh, particular passages that you might not always breach, right? So uh, we look at our, our text for today and you know, I did like a cursory look online, like who's preached this text? And not a lot of people, <laughs> um, not a lot of people look at Acts 3 verses 1 through 11 uh, and say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to preach on that this this Sunday. Uh, but when you go through books and you know chapters, uh, you, you look at it and you're like, all right, all right, this is what God has for us this morning. God spoke this, his word. So let's wrestle with it. And um, that's what we intend to do this morning. Well, quick story just to get us started. Uh, I lived in downtown in the Elliott Park neighborhood. Um, not far from where I lived, there was a, a Dumb Brothers Coffee. Dumb Brothers is like um, a local coffee chain uh, within the Twin Cities area. And um, while I lived in that particular area of Minneapolis, again, downtown-ish, um, I, w- I was a regular at the, a particular Dumb Brothers uh, naturally, when you become a regular, right, you get to know names and faces. Um, you just, you know, you see them and you say hi and you greet them by name and you just know people. As a matter of fact, and when I want to get to know a community, I go to the barista because <laughs> the barista sees the regulars and knows what's going on, right? And there is a, when I was in Minneapolis, there is a name and a face that I've never forgotten, um, Thomas attended Dumb Brothers just as frequent as I, but Thomas did not come to Dumb Brothers to uh, buy a cup of coffee and study for school. Thomas was homeless, and now at, at times he found a place to stay, but most of the time he hung around Dumb Brothers trying to get to know other people while also receiving charity from other people. And, and it was a good place to receive charity. It was a Christian University just a, a couple blocks away, and a lot of Christians study this coffee shop, and they're you know prone to offer charity to people. Well, fast forward several years, and I had moved out of downtown Minneapolis and into an apartment in the suburbs. Um, now, out of nostalgia, I occasionally went back to that particular Dumb Brothers, and who do you think I saw? You know, several years later, right? Thomas. Thomas was still hanging around. Talking it up with the patron and receiving charity from others. Acts 3 begins to unfold the next scene in the book of Acts. Um, The word now, which is like day in the Greek in verse 1, indicates a change of scene and a new section of thought. So Acts 1 and 2 tells us about the birth of the New Testament church, right? Um, Acts 3 begins to tell us various stories about the church. And what do we read? Right? What we're, we're going to see today, what we're going to see as we continue on in Acts, is that the church continues the ministry of Jesus. 
I mean, that's huge. You, you and I, as the church, we continue the ministry of Jesus. That's a little bit of what we're going to see as we continue on in the book of Acts. In particular, for today, we read about an interaction between you know Peter and John. John, who doesn't talk and is just kind of hanging out, but John's there. And we have their interaction with a lame beggar. A lame beggar who, like my friend Thomas, would have been well known, right? Perhaps not by name, but, but at least by face. And it's in this interaction between Peter, John, and the lame beggar where we see God at work. We see God at work. So here's how I want to approach the text this morning. I'm going to reset the scene in Acts 3. And then I want to look at the individuals in the story, right? I want to ask, what can we learn about God when we look through the eyes of the individuals in the story? So it's a, un- a different approach, perhaps unique, unique to me at least, but I think it's going to help us this morning wrestle with the text and help us to see what's going on. So here's, here's the, re- the scene reset. Uh, unlike my friend Thomas, the uh, beggar in Acts 3 had massive physical limitations, right? We read he was lame from birth, like right out of the wound, couldn't walk. Meaning he had never known what it, what it means to like walk, run, leap, skip, right? Never knew any of that. As a matter of fact, according to Acts 4 uh, verse 22, we see that this man was over 40 years old. Acts 4.22 is kind of reflecting on this lame beggar and what happened here. And it says he's over 40 years old. So what, what many of us take for granted every single day, right? Y'all walked in this morning. We take that for granted. What we take for granted every single day was completely foreign to this lame beggar. He, oh, he saw people walking, that's for sure. But he never knew what it was like to actually walk. So this man likely accepted his lot in life as a lame beggar, spending his days hoping to receive charity from all the people heading into the temple. The lame, the lame beggar location provides us with further insight into the veracity of the miracle, which I'll discuss more here in a moment. It says the lame beggar like set up shop at, at a place called Beautiful Gate, right outside the temple, where was the entrance into the temple. There, there is some speculation about what entrance to the temple is beautiful gate most likely this entrance was the most adorned um, entrance hence the kind of the name you know gate beautiful or beautiful gate depending on your translation in front of you in the english there now if this is true it's the most adorned gate um, where the beggar set up shop would have would have been also known as the like the corinthian gate or it had corinthian bronze covering the gate again the most adorned or beautiful gate leading into the temple this would mean that the entrance to the temple led to the court of the gentiles which in turn led into the court of the women here here's just kind of the bottom line of it all the entrance was just bustling people going in and out in and out it was bustling one, one more fact about the lame beggar's location and uh, 
kind of the scene reset here. Every day, the lame beggar's friends picked him up and took him to his spot located outside of the temple sanctuary, which means um, the social status of the lame beggar uh, meant he was unable to enter through the beautiful gate. Now, imagine that for a moment, right? Not only could he not walk to the gate, but his friends could not take him through the gate into the temple because he was lame. He was defiled. With all this as the backdrop, the miracle which takes place would have been stunning. Nobody born lame gets up and walks. The science tells us it's not supposed to happen, right? But it did happen, and I think it continues to happen. But the miracle does require some explaining. So what about our characters? So here's, here's what I want to do now. I want us to understand what happened through the eyes of the lame beggar, and then through the eyes of Peter and John, and then through the eyes of all who observed the miracle. The lame beggar was the recipient of the miracle, right? That's obvious. Peter and John, in particular Peter here, were conduits of God to perform the miracle. And then all who observed the miracle were left trying to figure out what happened. What's going on here? How do we make sense of all this? As we strive to look at what happened through their eyes, we're going to see also what they learned about God. In the first century, if there was a picture in, your, in the dictionary next to the word helpless, you may have seen this lame beggar. For all intent and purposes, he was. As far as I can tell, the lame beggar had two things going for him. One, which I already explained, he had friends who would pick him up every day and take him to his spot, his designated spot at the temple gate. Everyone knew who was going in and out of the temple that this particular lame beggar was going to be here. Two, he received alms from temple goers, alms meaning charity or money from temple goers, and they had mercy on him. And now, both uh, the, the taking back and putting him in his spot in order for him to receive alms and the actual giving of alms or money to the lame beggar were acts of charity in first century Judaism. So like you go to church or you go to temple, you read your Bible and you do acts of charity. Three big deals in first century Judaism. In verse four, we read how the lame beggar's life was just like about to change, right? Peter and John go to the temple Peter commands the lame beggar to look at him in John, verse 4. And then Peter has the absurdity, think about what Peter's doing here. He has the absurdity to say to the lame beggar that he has no silver or gold. Now, <laughs> see, we're all, we're all kind of like Peter sometimes, right? <laughs> right heart, sometimes it looks like you say the wrong thing. Pause, let's just pause for a moment. The only reason why the lame beggar is where he is at is to receive money from people. Verse 5, <laughs> the lame beggar sat at the gate saying aloud, you know, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. He, he knew he lived a pitiful life. 
if Peter and John had no money to offer, then they should just move on. I wonder what went through his mind, the lame beggar that is. Did he, did he like think Peter was like mocking him? I don't have any silver or gold for you. <laughs> don't say that to me. Right? Did, did lame beggar think a joke was being played on him? Right? Like, like, in this situation, I would imagine that the genuine act of mercy, <laughs> at least through the, the eyes of the lame beggar, would have been for Peter and John to go to a different gate. Don't mock them. Don't play games. Don't play a joke. Well, we don't know what went through his mind. In verse 6, the lame beggar realizes that what Peter is offering him is worth more than silver or gold. Uh, it says, but Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So I imagine the lame beggar hears Peter say, get up. But if I'm the lame beggar, I'm thinking, yeah, right. Yeah, right, Peter. You kidding me? Over 40 years without being able to take a step. And it seems Peter just continues to mock the poor lame beggar. I would have thrown a rock at Peter. I would have found the biggest rock that I could throw within reach and just chucked it at him. Say, don't come back. Go go to a different gate. With Lane Becker sees Peter force the issue. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong the lame beggar sees that peter is like invading his space bubble right we all got a space bubble <laughs> and uh peter's breaking right through it and grabs him by the right hand helps him up and all of a sudden he's like at eye level with peter that's new not only are we talking about someone who's lame who can never walk he didn't even stand but now he's at eye level with peter Within moments, steel rods through, shot through the feet and ankles of the beggar. In a matter of moments, the beggar began to realize his life had changed. The lame beggar was no longer lame. You know, now with a twinkle in, in his eye and a pep in his step, the beggar was walking and leaping and praising God. Verse 8. The only way I can describe his reaction is like joyful skipping, right? Joyful skipping. He was acting like a small child, oblivious to the cares of the world, and only concerned with like unicorns and rainbows. All is good. And he was skipping right into the temple while clinging to Peter and John. Verse 11. It's worth noting that Luke, a doctor, wrote Acts. He wrote it with severe accuracy. Um, the Greek words for feet and ankles are like precise. Um, the point being this. Luke, a medical doctor, writes wanting you to know about the integrity of the miracle. This isn't some fairy tale. 
to actually happen. So, for a moment, let's now consider what we should learn about God through the eyes of a lame beggar. If, if you out there, um, if you were trying to help the lame beggar make sense of what just happened, like, what would you say? Like, you witnessed it, you saw it, and also the lame beggar's like, oh, how do I make sense of this? Like, how do you counsel him, right? It seems to me that what the lame beggar experienced was the mercy and grace of God. The mercy of God is, is you um, not receiving the judgment that you deserve. It's God withholding the worst so that you could receive the best. I'm, I'm going to make a now listen. I'm going to make a statement that it might sound a bit audacious, and I get it. But if you think about it, it makes sense. Now, he, he, here's the statement. The lame beggar never deserved to be healed. God didn't ha have to heal him. Because of sin, none of us deserve healing, whether it's through modern miracles or, or, or modern medicine, right? What the lame beggar experienced and what we experience every single day, every single day, right now, in this room, what we experience is the overwhelming mercy of God. What we deserve is to be lame or worse. What we deserve is the wrath of God through whatever means God deems appropriate. God is merciful. God withholds from us what we deserve. I would hope the lame beggar began to understand and experience God's mercy when he was healed. I hope the, the beggar realized he deserved far worse than being lame. Not only is God merciful, he is gracious. Now, I'm, I want you to see the distinction between mercy and grace. A lot of people confuse the two. God is gracious by giving us what we do not deserve. If mercy is God withholding from us what we deserve, namely death and punishment because of our sin, God's grace means he's giving us what we do not deserve. For the lame beggar, it was his physical healing which resulted in him what doing what? <laughs> praising God, lifting up his hands and just praising Jesus. For us Christians, we receive spiritual healing through faith in Jesus Christ. Grace is God blessing, blessing us even though we do not deserve it. That is God's grace. Mercy is deliverance from judgment. And grace is God extending kindness to the unworthy. So through the eyes of the lame beggar, we see a merciful and gracious God, let me, let me pause and parenthetically say something here. When we talk about the mercy of God in particular, uh, we've got to really understand our own sin nature. Like I'm just trying to think out loud in my head about an objection here. A lot of people just don't like to talk about their own sin, their own rebellion, their own depravity. And unless you really understand your own sin and rebellion against God, 
you do not understand his mercy. And parenthetical statement, but important to say nonetheless, I, th I think. And God is merciful. The lame beggar saw it. God is gracious. The lame beggar saw it. When we look through the eyes of Peter and John, we see another aspect of God. Uh, we read that Peter to the temple to presumably pray at the ninth hour. It says they went to the temple at that particular hour of prayer. And I don't know if they necessarily prayed. I, we could assume that they were likely doing that. Um, but that we knew, know that they were going in the evening. Uh, did Peter and John go to the temple knowing that they're like, hey, we're going to go perform a miracle. <laughs> Who's coming with me? And, you know, Peter's saying it, and John's like, hey, I'm going with you. Or did they go knowing that they were going to go preach? That's going to be next week, right? We see Peter preaching. Uh, we, don't, we don't know all the, no the motives behind Peter and John. At the very least, we know that going to the temple would not have been unusual, right? These Jewish Christians thought of their faith as a continuation of an ancient faith. Uh, they didn't see that something that just popped up out of thin air, right? They went to the temple because of what Peter preached at Pentecost. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, right? So going to the temple would still have been natural. It would have been unusual. Now, a lot of that's going to change as, as, as um, you know, the temple's destroyed in 70 AD and all that kind of stuff. But as it, as it were, for this time, coming off the heels of Pentecost, um, they were doing what was normal. And as they were about to enter the temple, they saw the person that they saw the day before and then the day before that, a lame man asking for alms. Giving alms to the poor, like I said, would have been a virtue in the first century. Nothing was going on that would have put anyone off, right? This is a normal scene here, every day. But notice how Peter responds to the lame beggar. It, it, how Peter responds is oftentimes the opposite of how we respond, right? You're walking in downtown Des Moines or, you know, Minneapolis or pick your city du jour, and you see a lame beggar, and it's like, oh, hey, kids, we're going to go to the other side of the street and then look the other way, <laughs> Look the other way, just keep keep ignoring. That's how we that's how we deal with that kind of stuff sometimes. It seems harsh, but just know yourself or just look around. <laughs> See it all the time. When I was living in um, larger cities. But not Peter. Not Peter. Peter commands the lame beggar to look at him. And then with authority he says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. With Pentecost in the rearview mirror, it's not lost on Peter and John on where their power and authority come from. It's from Jesus. Peter and John knew that any hope to see the lame walk is because of Jesus Christ. What did we see in Acts 1, right? We went through Acts 1 and we went through this particular passage. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, right? You will, you guys will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth, right? And we read something similar in Matthew 28. Here, here it is. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The, the power and authority that Jesus had during his earthly ministry has been 
given to these apostles, and I would say all disciples of Jesus Christ, right? The batons being passed from Jesus to the church. Here we see that the miracle took place through Peter pointing to someone greater than he. We don't read, you know, in the text, we don't read in the name of Peter, rise up and walk. Peter points to the one who ultimately holds all authority and power. We don't know how many days after Pentecost this riding the wave, a, a spiritual high, like a, when a Christian comes back from a great conference. Uh, they were going about their business with, business with Holy Spirit-empowered boldness and being led by the Holy Spirit. They were led to this lame beggar. What can we learn about God through the eyes of Peter and John? Well, I think it's safe to assume that a man born unable to walk and all sudden can walk points to an all-powerful God. God can perform miracles. God can do what cannot be explained by the rational, enlightened sensibilities. We've got to wrestle with the power of God for a moment. We need to grapple with the power of God to perform miracles because it's on this point many people object to God and to the numerous miracles in the Bible. What is in question is whether God can break in and act in unexplained ways, um, unexplained by science or naturalism, right? So what is a miracle? Let's, let's, let's try to define that. Here's a, a good definition from a commentator about miracle. A miracle is a direct act of God in the external world in which he works outside, not against the common course of events to reveal himself, authenticate his servants, and manifest his nature and redemptive purposes. You hear that? In other words, miracles reveal or point to something more significant than like the miracle itself. We should not be shocked that God, who created the world, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, right? Uh, Hebrews 1 and 2. He is also able to cause a lame man to walk through the actions of Peter. You know, the, the comeback is often, how could God possibly defy science? To which I say, God created science. If God wants to strengthen the feet and ankles of the lame, he can surely work with what he has already created. When we come to miracles in the Bible, I am not suggesting you leave your mind at the door. It's not what I'm saying here. What I am suggesting is that if you want to understand miracles like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or what we read today, we have to see that God has infinite power. We, on the other hand, have finite limitations. It's a matter of perspective here. If you make the rational, enlightened man the pinnacle of understanding in this world, you will never grasp the resurrection of Jesus Christ or miracles in the Bible. Because you're basically saying, I 
of all infinite power and understanding in this world. But if you make God the infinite power of all understanding and us finite looking to God, well, that is a game changer and perspective changer. Um, this story highlights lame beggar Peter and John to a lesser degree. But remember, the man was healed in one of the highest traffic areas of Jerusalem and the temple. He, you know, might as well have been at the state fair, which means there was a bunch of people who witnessed the healing. Here's what we read in verses 9 to 11. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they, again, all, think about everyone there, were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them, happened to him, while he clung to Peter and John, and all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Four times in three verses, Luke describes this man as walking. And I would imagine a temple goer who had seen this miracle would have been overwhelmed. I was just like picturing, I was you know, going over this text, I was picturing like my kids, if I was there, Grabbing my arm, be like, Dad, Dad, take a look. He's, he's walking, Dad. Like, what's going on? Oh, what? He's walking. And kids being like, Dad, he's walking. You see that? How he's walking. And then the, the right question for my kids, Dad, how is he walking? How is this happening? I'd be like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have to tell you, son or daughter. These people were stunned because they were sure this man was lame, as sure as the sun is bright. They were convinced this man was lame, as, as, sure, as, they were, as sure as they are, the sky is blue. And he wasn't lame. They saw him walking in with Peter and John. Look, look at how the ESV describes the reaction. The English Standard, Standard Version describes the reaction of the people. Verse 10, wonder and amazement. In, in verse 11, utterly astounded. Uh, amazement and utterly astounded are actually the same Greek word being used there. Like, oh, hey, oh, uh, uh, what do you say? What do you say to that? Like, I don't have words. You know, listen, the crowd was not witnessing a... Um, a like prosperity, health, wealth, and healing conference where like perfectly healthy people are planted in a crowd and then the minister, whatever you call him or her, goes up to the person, lays hands, says a few magic words, and all of a sudden the person's walking around or running around. Right? It's not what's going on here. It, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta like um, take a moment to, to push back against this kind of um, deception that exists especially throughout, um, how should we say, um, prosperity-type churches, right? Uh, I've seen this kind of garbage enough, and I've seen it firsthand. Here's a quick story. Uh, shortly after I became a Christian, a friend of mine invited me to this, to this health and prosperity conference, right? So it was like early 20s. Long story short, they... This conference, um, whoever the leaders were, they shipped in a guy from Australia. They flew him in, I suppose. And he preached for about an hour, and he talked about how God can heal, right? And I'm, like, tracking with him when he's preaching. And I'm like, amen, God can heal. That's what I read in my Bible. But after he preached, he asked everyone to stand. And I'm like, okay, I'll stand up. 
And in a room of about 300 people, he began to go down um, person after person, row after row, and like hitting him on the forehead. And the people like flailed backwards, right? And I'm like, what is going on here? Um, how much force is he hitting people with? And, and then I realized he's going he's gonna to eventually get to me. So he, f- he gets to my row. And I'm, you know, about two-thirds of the way back. And I, and I lock eyes with this guy. I lock eyes, and he's going down the row one after one, hitting them. And everyone's falling back. He gets the guy next to me, and I'm still locking eyes with this guy. And then he skips me, <laughs> right? <laughs> Goes to the next guy, and, I, and I'm like, I think he got the picture. Like, if he touches me, I might break his arm. I mean, I don't know who wouldn't have done that, but it's like what I'm thinking. Like, don't touch me. Now, all these folks were trying to receive some type of healing, spiritual, physical, or both, right? Now, can God heal in unexpected ways? Like, can he do that? Absolutely. But I've seen too many people abuse God's word for their own gain. If the church wants to be a conduit of healing, like Peter was, then the church needs to act in faith and with grace, not out of manipulation, but with compassion and care, with the glory of God in view. What the people witnessed at the beautiful gate was not magic. Peter didn't say abracadabra. It was not manipulation. It wasn't smoke and mirrors. What they saw was the power of God on display. And it's good for us to say as a church that we want to see that same power on display right here. Right here. Now, what could have been going on through the minds of the crowd um, because of what they saw, right? Well, mystery, I think, is one reaction. You see the mystery of God, right? How do you explain what God is doing here? And an expectation to receive answers. Like, Peter, um, we kind of just witnessed you um, in the name of Jesus tell a guy to get up and walk who's been lame for 40 years. Like, Peter, um, we, we like some answers, right? <laughs> and uh, they eventually would get some answers. Whether that's satisfactory, we don't know, but that is next week's sermon when Peter preaches in response to this healing. We read that the crowd eventually followed Peter and John and the beggar. The crowd ran together to them to the portable called Solomon's, verse 11. Um, the deed, what we need to know here is that the deed led to the preaching of God's word, right? We see this often as we go, th- as, as we go through Acts, as we continue to go through Acts. A, a miraculous event happens, and then the gospel is preached. Now, like I said, does Peter's sermon answer the questions of the crowd? Well, some yes, for some no. But as it stands for today, the crowd would have been utterly shocked and overcome with this mystery. All right. Now, I've taken a non-traditional path at looking at this passage. Again, non-traditional for me. And we've looked at it through the eyes of the people in the story, our characters in the story. I now want to look at this passage through our eyes, right? As you read it, what do you see? What do you think? How would you respond if you personally saw the lame beggar instantly healed? And I would also add, do you think God can heal in these ways? 
All good questions that require some explanation. Here are just a few of my thoughts. First, as you already know and can tell, I firmly believe God can still heal. I've already made this clear, but I want to make it explicit. God continues to heal people. Um, You know, a little insight of some pastoral responsibilities. One One of my responsibilities as a pastor is to do hospital visits. And oftentimes when I have to do a hospital visit, it's not the most um, great of circumstances. Something's happened. Someone can call you in, right? And uh, almost every time I pray for the individual in the hospital bed. And I pray for healing. I pray for healing not because I'm obligated to you know, obligated from the family for the individuals in the hospital room. Or it seems like a kind thing to do. I I pray for healing because I believe God can still perform miracles, right? Let me tell you this. Like, I've I've been in hospital rooms where I'm chatting it up with nurses, and they tell stories. They They tell me I'm a pastor, and I pray, and they see this or whatever. And they tell me stories about how... Doctors cannot explain how some people are healed. Like, it defies their science, as it were. I hear it all the time, you know. People come in, pray, just healing, and they're just like, I don't, the doctor's like, I don't know what to do with this. Now, does God heal everyone? No, he does not. And I can't tell you exactly why some people are healed and others are not healed. Um... In my view, it is God's sovereign prerogative to heal as he sees fit. It's up to his will and his ways. And on this earth, we don't always know why. We can ask the question, why? But we always don't get the answer to why. Whether God instantly heals or not still means, though, Uh, We need to approach God with the faith and knowledge that he is able to heal. But we want to be faithful to pray for healing, realizing it's ultimately up to God. Another reason why I think we do not see many healings, at least in the West, when I say West, I mean like Western culture, Europe, um, Canada, North America, or America. The reason why I think we don't see many healings in the West is because we only seem to need God when tragedy strikes. Uh, All the other times God can be marginalized, I'm speaking generally here, can be marginalized in our life because we're focused on other matters. Here's what I mean, right? Um, Stick with me here. I I love this story about this interaction between Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas was a preeminent theologian from the 13th century, a Catholic theologian, right? And uh, his interaction with Pope Innocent II. The story goes that Aquinas was visiting the Pope in Rome, and he took note of like all the ridiculous riches that filled the Vatican. You know, just gold and silver and just unbelievable. You just get one brick out of the Vatican, and you'd have enough money for a lifetime, right? I mean, that's just how filthy rich the Vatican was and perhaps still is. And uh, so Aquinas has taken note of this, and uh, he you know interacts with Pope Innocent. The second, Innocent says, 
No longer do we say, think about today's passage, no longer do we say silver and gold do we have none. Listen to Thomas's, Thomas Aquinas' response. He looked at the Pope and said, maybe this is why we can no longer say, rise up and walk. The world distracts us from moving toward God in faith and moving toward others in the faith that God has given. Of course, we don't see healings like we used to. We do not step out in faith and pray as we should. God wants us to be a useful tool in his hand, right? I use that example a lot. We want to be useful tools in the hands of God, but oftentimes we, we find ourselves in the back of the drawer, of the kitchen drawer. That's where we find ourselves. Silver and gold can consume us and distract us. So Christian, we need to move toward others in faith and with laser light focus on God. We can move forward, not looking at life with like this physical perspective, right? <clears throat> but with a spiritual perspective, knowing that God can heal. I have one more thought about what we see from the healing of the lame beggar. The mercy and grace of God allowed the beggar to get up and walk into the temple where he could experience the presence of God for the very first time. This was a physical miracle. A greater miracle happens when a sin-filled, rebellious heart is made alive by the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, a person goes from walking away from God to walking with God. The story of the lame beggar points toward a higher spiritual truth. It is that Jesus is the Son of God who died on a cross for the sin of His people. And His atoning death is why anyone can rise up and walk. I love the lyrics from the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Um, here's just part of it, just a couple lines. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Omnipotent meaning, big fancy theological word for all-powerful. Upheld by God's all-powerful hand. No matter if it is physical or spiritual, it is God who strengthens us. It is God who causes us to stand. It is all because of God omnipotent, all-powerful hand. Let's pray.